Merry Christmas, church. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 1. Again, I want to underscore, if you are visiting with us, we are so thrilled that you're here. It is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Amen? Uh, and it, it's because there's been several people who have stepped up to spend a lot of time uh, turning our place into a place of Christmas joy. And so would you say thank you for, with me to all those who... Turn this into a place of Christmas joy. It really is. I love all the decorations uh, this time of the year, but I, I got to confess, I like the lights the most. Uh, they're festive and they're fun, uh, and I think they are the most, um, the closest parallel to who Jesus is uh, to this world. Um, into darkness he came. The scriptures say, but we also understand, no, we still need him to come. And we believe that he is the light of the world. And that's why I say with all my heart, I just love uh, this season of lights that we get to participate in every single year. But we not only believe it as a church, we've experienced it. Um, he's walked us out of some of our, our, our deepest darkness. And uh, we are never going to be the same because of that. Um, and because of that, every year, uh, we try to take this time, this, this time of December... Uh, to talk about four different ways that that light shines into our lives. The first week we looked at was the light of peace. That that light is very, very real as it, as it becomes a part of our lives. The, the secondly, we looked last week at um, that the light of hope is real. Uh, actually, I got those flipped. The light of hope was the first week, light of peace the second week. And this week, it's through Christ we get a chance to see that the light of love, it's not just something we sing about. It's not just something on greeting cards. It's something we've experienced, and we, we hope some way, somehow, if, if you're just putting your feet in the water on, on this church thing, maybe a friend's invited you and loved on you enough to say, you've got to come be a part of what's really changing my life, transforming my life, giving me hope, giving me peace, filling me with love. If you're here today, we hope you experience that. Uh, you are our special guest. Uh, I'd like for us to bow and pray. Uh, as we always do, we're going to invite God's blessing, not just on this service here and this time of preaching, but also we want to lift up Holy Cross Lutheran Church this morning. Would you bow with me? God, thank you that um, the kingdom is not just limited to us. Thank you that you have uh, brought so many different people in so many different ways to this Christ. And uh, we, we are praying that you unify us. There's been a time in our past where we have uh, put up walls. We've actually been competitive with each other about seeing who could win more, who could get certain people into their churches. Not anymore, God. We've repented of that. We're doing the best that we can to find all the common ways that we connect with people who are trying to serve Jesus Christ and be his disciple. And so we do lift up Holy Cross Lutheran and, and everything that's going on at their service this morning. Please pour out your spirit on them as you're doing so this morning with us. Uh, but we come together as one family under God. We come as one family under the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to proclaim that you are the light of the world. And we pray that in Jesus' name and everyone said. I don't know if you picked up one of these last year, uh, but they're also on sale again this year. It's called the Hipster Nativity Sing. <laughs> I love it. Mary and Joseph are making a selfie. Uh, the wise men have come from the east on segways, and they're bearing gifts from Amazon Prime. <laughs> the animals in the stable are all 100% grass-fed organic. 
I, I don't think it's an actual portrayal of the nativity, but I think for our day and age, it's pretty close. But to set the tone for what I think is the actual series of events, let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. A fellow who had a chance to actually walk with Jesus, to see him as this uh, God incarnate, this God who put on flesh, was Matthew. And Matthew sat down one day and decided, I, I just got to write down what I know, what I've seen. And here's part of what he wrote. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Man, I think the world of this guy. He's a man who takes his faith seriously, the scripture just said there. But he also wants to live that out lovingly, and that combination is not easy to do in this world. Now, in other passages, we learn Joseph wasn't just a righteous man, a godly He was a carpenter, and he passed that trade on to his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we also know that Joseph was from Nazareth. I think most of us would call a, a town like Nazareth, Podunk, or Hole in the Wall. Gail and I have been uh, lighting up the road between here and Fort Worth. 377 is a stretch that we've been traveling quite a bit because of a little baby of our own that came into the world not too long ago. Um, and we passed through a couple of, of large towns, Stephenville, all right, that's a large town, similar to Kerrville in a lot of ways, but we also passed through several hole in the walls. One of them is Toller. Anybody here not heard of Toller before? If you've not heard of Toller, raise your hand. Okay, a lot. It's a hole in the wall. Population 600, but Becca Svoboda and their bunch hang out there a lot because they've got family there. Uh, Nazareth was like that. Joseph, as he lived there, they had a humble home. Probably had a humble business there, uh, but it was hole in the wall, and Jesus was from there. But being from a small town did not lessen, I wouldn't call it a title, I'd just call it a descriptor of Joseph, that he was a righteous man. Whether you live in a town of 400,000 or 400, that's a title that, that I think any of us fellows would like to, to have placed alongside our names. When we hear that, we need to hear a man of, yes, faith, but a man of integrity, not just to his faith, but also in the people that he worked with and lived with. Now, I, I think we'd hope, all of us guys who are following God, trusting in God, that we would have that attached to us, but we know that not all of us do. Joseph had a reputation, though, for being both righteous and responsible. Now, I want to underscore that, and I put it up on the screen, because this man and woman, Mary and Joseph, probably known secondly only by Adam and Eve, as far as couples in the world. This, this couple was good people, good folks. Now, you may not know this. Most likely, when these good folks were little, there was an arrangement made for them to get married someday. This happened a lot in this particular culture. Um, Mary's dad, Joseph's dad, got together probably a sum of money was exchanged even back then as they began to plan on these two becoming a married couple someday. Uh, there was a talk about where they would live. There was a talk about how um, Mary would be provided for. And this is very different from our culture and the word engagement that we're used to hearing. 
So as we come into our text this morning, Mary and Joseph are just engaged, but it meant a whole lot more back in their culture than it does ours. It was actually a binding legal agreement. They called it a betrothal. And in Jewish communities, again, it was serious. That's why when Joseph hears about Mary being pregnant, this isn't good. Not on any front, not just on appearance's sake, but also because of the law. She's broken the law of their faith. She has been with another man, Joseph assumes, and committed adultery, and that's sinful, and it's wrong. And it will cause Joseph to be considered not so much a righteous man anymore. This is serious. In Joseph's mind, he, he's not sure what he can do about this situation. Regard, there's just really not a good way to, to respond to this. And yet at the same time, if Mary's telling the truth, wow, the baby that's inside her, that's been placed there by the Holy Spirit, is the Son of God. He wants to do the righteous thing, but he also wants to do the responsible thing. If that's true, man, he's got a child to take care of as, a, as well as a very unique girl. He, he loves this girl. He wants to be married to this girl, but, but she's carrying the Son of God himself. I'm trying to create, and I may not be doing very well, this tongue of war that's within Joseph and his heart and his mind, trying to find something to bridge this gap between being responsible and being righteous in a very difficult situation. We face decisions like that every day. I do. Now, I don't know who wrote this prayer, but years ago I copied it and I placed it in my need-to-remember file because it captures, I think, the struggle I live with every day in trying to be a godly man in a not-so-godly community. Here it is. Dear God, so far today I've been the person you've asked me to be. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, selfish, or overindulgent. As a matter of fact, I've been self-controlled and positive and hopeful, and I'm grateful for that. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. Some of you have read this, right? It's, it's not new. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. If that fits you, nod your head like this. Yeah, I thought so. It's good to be in a room full of fellow sinners. And we are, aren't we? That's difficult. That's a call to live a godly life in the midst of a, an ungodly people. And it's not easy. I think that tension that Joseph felt on that Christmas is the same tension you feel on this Christmas. And it's a tension between not just responsible and righteousness, it's between these two things, calm and chaos. See, on the end of Joseph's life, he recognizes who God is and what God expects of him. And we'll call that the, the calm side. Uh, there's clarity there. There's calm there. But on the other end of the spectrum of Joseph's life is this fiancé, a woman he's been looking forward to spending the rest of his life with. But she's claiming to not only be pregnant, she's claiming she's still a virgin. And so in Joseph's mind, there's this clear-cut decision that I've got to make. Do I stay with her or do I divorce her? One of those two things. And either decision is going to have ramifications that will be with him the rest of his life. What do you do when you're facing a decision like that? I mean, a major one that is going to create calm or chaos, regardless, it seems, of what you're, what you're going to decide. I hope you remember Joseph the next time you're facing one of those. I admire Joseph for not rushing into it. Minimally, he's going to sleep on this. Uh, he, this tells me that Joseph is not just a man of integrity, he's a man of wisdom. 
He's not going to rush into this because he decides, if I make this decision too quickly, it could backfire on me. And so he goes to bed on some thoughts he has with him, and those thoughts are interrupted as he sleeps. You remember these words. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, with those thoughts in mind that I know you've heard before, let me take us back to the tension, okay, of feeling calm and feeling the chaos that's present. And I want to plug in a simple application that Joseph plugged in to bridge those two, and it's the word obedience. Joseph decided that he was going to trust God and... Joseph decided he was going to obey him. Now, please hear me on this. Just because you trust God and obey God in almost anything does not mean the chaos is going to fly away. Okay? It certainly didn't for Joseph. When he decides to trust God and when he decides to obey this angel, what he's revealed to him, Mary's still pregnant. Close friends and family are still saying, you need to leave her. Come on, Holy Spirit, my eye. Divorce her. Please, save yourself some trouble. This baby is going to cause such civil unrest, not just to Joseph, but to the king, that he's going to feel threatened by him enough to want to kill the child. Which is going to lead Joseph to evacuate his entire family and head to a foreign country, Egypt. Joseph said, I will trust you and I will obey you, God, but the chaos still remained. But now Joseph knows, though, that Mary is telling the truth. And so he decides to obey God. And the minute that he does, the second that he does, God brings calm into that chaos. He does. And he does every single time that we decide to make that decision to trust and obey him. Calm will come. Kids, listen to me. Those of you who are students at school, I want to say this on behalf of God, that when you choose not to gossip about a fellow classmate, when you choose not to belittle or post something on social media that tears them down, when you choose to stay sober when all your other friends are getting drunk, when you choose to honor God's plan for sexuality, and you don't unzip or unbutton a single article of clothing with the opposite sex until you're married, when you make those choices... Your calm factor is going to go up. And your chaos factor is going to go way down. However, you choose to disobey God in any one of those things, and I promise you, your chaos factor is going to go up, and your calm factor is going to seriously deteriorate. Adults, you know that. You've been living this, I hope. When you choose to obey God's plan for handling His money His way, when you choose to say yes to his desire to tell the truth, regardless of what deception is going on around you, 
your calm factor is going to go up and your chaos factor is going to go down. But when you choose to not honor your marriage vows and with those that you work with, you're not familial, you're flirty. When you choose to respond to someone who's disrespecting you with more disrespect, your chaos factor is going to go up and your calm is going to go down. Doesn't matter whether you're a student or whether you're a, a parent. That's the truth. Now, therapists have a way of measuring this chaos in our lives. They call them life change units or LCUs. Some of you have heard about these. And what happens is simply this. The counselors are going to apply a numeric equivalent to a stressful event in your life. And they're going to add those points up. And if you get anywhere close to 300... They know that you're at an emotional tipping point in your life and moving towards a major crisis. Now, I'm going to give you an example of some LCU values. It's not exhaustive, but I think you can begin to see how this works. Death of a spouse gets 100 points. Divorce, 73. Illness or injury, 53. Job loss, 44. Trouble with in-laws, 29. I kind of think that last figure is a little bit low, to be honest. So does the Department of Public Safety. They posted this sign on Thanksgiving holidays at the under overpass. Maybe you saw it. <laughs> Let me take you back to the LCU chart again, all right? Some of you are just now getting that. I love that. Oh, yeah. That's... I decided to take this test as if I were Joseph. If I was assessing my life in his place, I, I came up with a score, an LCU number that was 476. If 300 is crisis, what does 476 mean? Chaos. Absolute and utter chaos. That is exactly what this man is experiencing, but I want you to hear me, brother or sister in Christ. At the same time, he's experiencing calm. He's experiencing a peace that passes all understanding. And the reason he's experiencing calm is told us in one little statement in that telling of the story. Let's go back to it again. Joseph woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord, say it with me, commanded him. Joseph woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He trusted God. And he did what God asked him to do. And when we do this any and every time, we can have calm in the midst of practically any chaos. Walk away with this one today. Personal obedience leads to personal peace. We just did an entire series on peace talks. And so you can go back and get that series. And I really would encourage you. It's been one of the more uh, commented sermon series that I've ever done here. Because we're a society that's living on the edge of anxiety all the time. And I want to say it again. When you choose to trust God and obey God, Psalms 37 says, personal obedience will lead to personal peace and personal blessing. So when I'm saying you trust God and do what he asks us to do, I want to say this. I've experienced that all hell can be breaking loose in your life, but peace can be a reality inside your life. Now, This is important for us to get our heads around because Joseph is a, and I'll say it again, righteous, godly man. And, and, and for many of us that sounds almost out of reach, but it's not. He's a man just like you, worries and difficulties and, 
and temptations, but he, he, he became a man who was known for making decisions by trusting God and doing the next right thing. And the reason he could, here's what's key. Why would he do that? Because he believed two things about God. Number one, that God was transcendent and that he is imminent. Now, I know those are big words. And it's late into Sunday morning and we've got to get out of here in a few minutes. But, but will you get on the theology bus with me? Let's go down theology street for just a second and I'll bring you right back, okay? What do we mean by transcendent? Simply this, that God is huge. And he is too big and too powerful to be limited and confined to space and time. And yet at the same time, he's imminent. Joseph believed this. God is bigger than we could imagine. And yet he's as close as we could ever imagine. No, he's closer than we could ever imagine. He's bigger than us, but he's also with us. He created space and time, and so he can enter it, and he can exist with it, and he can live among those of us who live in it every day. And Joseph believed all of that about God, that he was imminent and transcendent at the same time. And I've just come this morning to remind you, he hadn't changed. The Hebrew writer says it this way, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. He's still beyond us. He's still bigger than us. He's still more powerful than us. And yet at the same time, he's imminent with us. And if you're a Jesus follower, oh, he's in us. Which has to mean he's for us. Man, I hope that gives you hope. Fills you with peace. Let's you know you were really, really loved for him to go to all that trouble. Joseph believed that. And in the midst of his incredible chaos, he had incredible calm. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort, but when he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Well, Coach Jones, that would preach in the, in the locker room, wouldn't it? I could come do that one time, maybe. Man, the ultimate measure of a man is not when he stands in moments of comfort, but when he stands at times of challenge and controversy. That describes Joseph to a T. And it describes some of us to a T. Because some of you are right in the midst of some incredible controversy and challenge, and you're not quite sure what to do. And I'm just pointing you back to Joseph this morning, all right? What all of us are doing, when we say, all right, I, like Joseph, will trust God. I, like, God will like, like Joseph, will obey God. When we're doing that, there's one more aspect to this I want to leave you with. It's, it's part of what, what some of the religious world calls Advent. It's not only are we... Are we talking about Christ's coming? But because we know he came, we also believe he's coming back. And that, that we're celebrating the already, that we have this Savior that's in the world, but we've got the Savior of all saviors coming to wrap this world up in a way that we can't even begin to imagine. As followers of Christ, we live in this tension every single day between the already and the not yet. And it is not an easy tension. You can sum it up in one word, waiting. Waiting. I love what Lewis Smith says about waiting. He says, waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what we hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that sometimes feels like not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. 
you believe that, say amen with me. Amen. It's hard. And some of you are in the thick middle of it. You walked in here waiting. Let's go even further. You walked in here begging. God, please, please, can, can we have a baby? It's wonderful to celebrate baby Jesus, and it's, it's wonderful to celebrate these new ones that have come. But God, could we conceive? Some of you came in here this morning, and you're waiting for your marriage to get better. Some of you are waiting for your career to get on track. It's been off track for so long. Some of you are waiting for your financial situation to get better. Some of you are waiting for your health situation to get better. You're just waiting, waiting, waiting. Can I remind you, Joseph knows what that's all about. And he didn't see it all, and he didn't understand it all, but he obeyed God while he waited, friends. The guy had to wait nine months, not just for the controversy to, to dissipate maybe when this child actually was born, I'm a guy and I get this. He's a newlywed. He's a young guy. He didn't have relations with his wife for nine months minimal, maybe longer. That's a lot of cold showers, all right? But this man wanted the world both then and now to know this woman gave birth as a virgin. She not only conceived as a virgin, she gave birth as a virgin. No questions asked. Wow. Not until that baby was born nine months later did Joseph exhale and all of his fears and doubts begin to be put to rest. Nine months of waiting. Seems like forever. Some of you have been waiting longer. So I just want to keep pointing you back to Joseph. Here's my question for you specifically. What's the one command of God you're struggling with obeying most? This one was a tough one for Joseph. What about you? If... We were to go around the room right now, and you were to share, here's the one command of God I struggle with most of my life. What would you say? Now, we're not going to ask you to do that. But if we did, and ask you to be specific, what would you write on the back of a card and turn in? Now, to help frame this, I, I, I just want to reduce that down to two things, two different ways commandments seem to be placed in our lives. One is do and one is don't. You got that slide up there, guys? There you go. Do and don't. The majority of us struggle with the don't ones the most. I do. Don't lie. Don't lust. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Those are tough commands for me to obey at times. But others fall in the difficult category too. The do commands. Do pray for your enemies. That's not easy. Do give to the poor. Do look out for widows and orphans. Do offer blessing when someone curses you. And it's hard to respond to in a positive, creative way sometimes. I love reading about a man this week in Great Britain. He was absolutely worn out with trying to talk his daughter into refraining from posting provocative pictures on social media. They talked till he was blue in the face. And they were photos that were degrading not just her and their family. And she was so stubborn about complying that he came up with a positive, creative way of addressing that. He decided he would just imitate her. And so in response... To his daughter and the way she was dressing, he put this on. He gets Dad of the Year award for me right there. Now, no, what's amazing is not only was that embarrassing for her, he has 60,000 more Instagram followers than she does. <laughs> Good on you, Dad. Our Father has asked us because... Go ahead and go to the, the black one there. I don't want to look at that. 
Our Father has asked us because He loves us. Here's some things that will enrich your life. Please make sure you do them. Here's some things that will absolutely destroy your life. Please make sure you don't do them. Please. For your benefit. Not just because I'm bigger than you and I can make you. Or I can spank you if you don't. That's not it. I love you. And here's some things I really want to invite you to. And here's some things I want to warn you to stay away from. And you've got to trust Him on this. What is it? What's the one thing right now that God's asked of you to do and you're struggling with following through with it? While you're thinking about that, I'm going to conclude with this. A man by the name of Wytold Pilecki is sometimes forgotten when the discussion of World War II comes up. But I wanted to bring him to the forefront this morning to our minds for good reason, I think, and you'll see it in a minute. What a guy. This man lived as a little boy in a Polish town that was adjacent to Auschwitz. He knew in his heart as a teenager that something was wrong in that camp. Everybody in town kept saying, nah, it's just a work camp, ignore it. Nothing else is going on there. He believed differently. And so he prayed and went to his church and he told them, I'm volunteering to be a missionary to Auschwitz. And this man snuck into a concentration camp. You heard me right. Snuck into a concentration camp as a prisoner. And he made himself one of them and began nursing people back to health. He began encouraging them. He prayed with them. He told them not to give up hope. He promised them this will come to an end soon. He even went as far as creating a little resistance army in the confines of the camp to disrupt and disturb what the Germans were doing in the camp. He was living like Joseph. He was living like the son that Joseph was about to raise. He was trying to bring light where there was darkness. Death, nah, not bigger than the life that he could bring. Chaos, no, nothing compared to the calm that he could offer. And he was an ambassador of the not yet. The people were experiencing the already. Those in the camp were not free, but they soon would be. And he wanted to begin to live a life that paralleled that. What I told I think is a picture of Joseph, but not just Joseph. Here's what I want you to leave here knowing this morning. He's a picture of you and what God's called all of us to. God is calling every single one of us who know this grace that we celebrated in the Lord's Supper a few moments ago, who know it, not just are playing with it, but know it, to take that grace into an ungraced world. Everywhere I look, there's ungrace. People are stuck in their own concentration camps and own prisons of sometimes their own making. And yet we, we get to be the light of the kingdom into their darkness. We do. We get to be that, that hope that shines in the midst of hopelessness to people. And God's calling us ragamuffins to do it, just like he did that ragamuffin carpenter by the name of Joseph and that teenage girl by the name of Mary. And through us, he's hoping to bring a little bit of heaven into this already hellish place for a lot of people. And it's their only hope. I wish there was a gift I could give you. We've got gifts up here that Patty did a great job on, and I ask her to do that because of particularly this sermon. I wish there's a gift I could wrap up and put a beautiful bow on it and hand it to you, and you know what? Your life would be perfect. I mean perfect. That's in the not yet. 
And the already, the best I can do is give you the truth and hope that you unwrap that and live it. And that is trusting God and obeying Him is not going to make the, calm, the chaos go away. But I promise you this, there will come a calm that's, that is beyond understanding when you decide to do that. I promise you. Don't take my word for it. I hope this whole sermon is God's word on that. The first time when Jesus came, nobody recognized him. I assure you of this, the next time he comes, everybody will recognize him. That's what Philippians 2 says. That when he comes the next time, every knee shall bow. Every tongue is going to confess that he truly is not just a cuddly, cute baby. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Everyone. Now before that, you have the opportunity to be able to unwrap this gift now. Because it truly is the gift that keeps on giving if you do. Father, we come to you this morning grateful that you have sent this gift. Forgive us for leaving it on a table. Forgiving us for not, with risk, pulling the bow off and, and taking the wrapping paper off and welcoming you into our lives. Father, some of us in here have held you at arm's length. We've been around a lot of folks who are Jesus followers for a long time, but we've held you at arm's length, and we've not welcomed you to come make your home in us. If that's the case, and you've got some that you're nudging this morning like you nudged Jimmy. Oh, God, what a great thing to see him say yes. Yes. And to give his life to you this week. Now, we're just asking if, you've, if you're nudging some other folks and they want to take care of that today and begin opening that gift, would you just nudge them down to the front to find me or one of our elders? And I also want to pray for my brothers and sisters who didn't come a while ago but want to come now. Would you give them the courage to just go find an elder or me so that we can begin to help them cherish the gift that they've kind of set to the side and really not had anything to do with for a while? Please, God, you have the only hope of restoring any of that. Bring joy to our world, however that looks. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said. Let's stand. Let's praise in church.